some technical troubles. This is not my presentation. Uh, anyway, I'll be talking about clients and honesty, and the combination of two. I'll be speaking in English, even though my first language is Russian, I will try to make it understandable, try to speak slowly, I hope you will understand English. We all love to have clients, and we all love to be honest with them, right? Not really, yeah? <laughs> in some cases, right? Uh, I'll be speaking from, well, I had some presentation, believe me. I'll be speaking from my experience. I'm in the outsourcing business for about 17 years, and I was not honest with my clients for 14 years. I just started to be honest with them three years ago. So I will share my experience of the last three years, because this is what's interesting. Um, yeah, I, uh, they're gonna give me some content. I was, in these three years, we've completed about 15 projects with seven, seven different clients, and uh, we created over 300 lines of source code, mostly in Java, and we've been working with uh, over 200 programmers over the world, and most of our clients are from America, mostly in Silicon Valley. This is where the company is actually located. Um, the problem always with the client is, and in, in all these projects, over the last three years, we always give our clients full access during the project, from the first day, full access to, and there has to be the list of things, but I think I remember them, to source code, first of all. So all our clients, they can see the source code from the first line, from the first day when we start. They can see all the tickets we have. We manage our tasks and tickets so they can see the tickets we have for programmers. They can also see all the bug reports. So they have full access to the bugs we find in the software and they know what doesn't work. They have full access to the logs in our production servers, in our staging servers, everywhere. So they see what's wrong, they see all the troubles we have. They have full access to documentation we write and they have full access to the conversations we have between us and programmers, programmers and us, and programmers to programmers. So they see everything what's going on in the team. I believe that not so many of you can say the same, can actually be proud of the same configuration. And maybe some of you think that this is not a good setup, maybe not a good configuration. Most of outsourcing companies believe that the client has to be kept in the dark until the product is more or less ready. And there are many reasons for that. And now I need a slide. <laughs> Do we have a slide? No? There will be no slides today. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll try. I'll remember them. Yeah, well, there was a funny slide, but okay, let, uh, let's make some fun without the slide. So the question is, uh, it, it's always a problem. It's always a problem because clients actually do three things which are the most destructive to the team. Well, I highlighted them on the slide. First of all, they, as soon as they get full access, we actually, not, three years ago, it wasn't like we started to give them full access and enjoy that on the first day. It was difficult. It was a problem in the first day. Clients started to give us headache, and, 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 they, become, and they became a, tr a problem for us, the client itself. So first of all, they start always, when they get full access, they start to give directions and they start to direct you, to tell you what to do. 
because they have full access, they, they, they see something and they say, hey, fix that, because they, they see some trouble. They see the bug report, for example, and they tell us what to do, so they direct us. Instead of like, they becoming, they become our micromanagers, so they start to micromanage us. The second thing, they start to ask too many questions, and they start to tell us too many things. So they see things, they see what's going on, they ask questions, which actually annoy us, and they are not making our life comfortable. And the third problem is that they're starting to judge us. They're starting to decide whether we are good programmers or not. So they are making decisions about, they, I mean, they see something and then they have some friends sitting next, next to them and they're saying, hey guys, we're not doing it the right way because my friend says so. So they start becoming our, can I, oh, nice. <laughs> so that's my second slide. So you see we, we, we get full access. And is it easy? My answer is supposed to be no here. And then there's three things. So they start to direct us. They start to, can I have my computer turn it on? Because I don't want to look back all the time. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. So they start directing us. They start asking too many questions and telling us many things about how the software has to be developed. And they start judging us. So why it's happening? And this is the funny slide. So this is the most. <laughs> The most common answer of why it's happening. And funny or not, this is actually true. I mean, they're not idiots because they're, they're stupid, but because they're not actually professionals in software development. In most cases, there are people who are, who are less professional than we are. They are not software people in most cases. They're business people. They have some business ideas. They have some, some business cases. They have some money to run the business and to outsource to us, to ask us to develop something. And they're not really professionals, so we are smarter than them in software development. And that's why these things where they are doing us so annoying. But we need to find a way, we figured out, how to, to solve that. And I will share that with you, so what solutions we found for all these three problems. Well, now the clicker doesn't work. <laughs> we have so many problems today, technically. But we'll figure it out. Okay, you, yeah, you try to fix the clicker. <laughs> There are no funny slides, three more, and then we have one more funny. So uh, what do we do? The first problem is micromanagement. So how do we fix the micromanagement? You all know what micromanagement is, right? When they see something is happening, they just jump in, they see some problem inside, not a problem, but something is happening, and they're directly telling us, do it that way. Not, don't fix the bug 17, fix the bug 23. Because they want so, because, and that's, that's gonna be a, a funny slide saying, yeah, probably this one will stay for too long, huh? <laughs> the presentation will be too offensive, I think. <laughs> so you better remove that. So the next slide was, it was a quote from, from a client saying, I'm paying you, do it my way. And that's pretty reasonable, because they have money, they expect us to be kind of, you know, not the monkeys doing what they want, but kind of on their payroll, so they expect us to do, um, to do what they want. <laughs> And what do we do? What, 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 why, have, why is this happening? I think there are three problems, why, three causes of that, three reasons of that's happening. First of all, they don't know the rules of work. I call them ground rules on one of my next slides. The ground rules meaning that they don't know how we work, how we dispatch our tasks, who is doing what and why, how we make management decisions. Most of you are managers here, so they, these clients, they don't know how our managers are actually making decisions about who has to do what, what's the priority of the task, when we start this sprint, when we finish this sprint, 
how we make decisions of what to be released, and, all, and so and so. And they don't understand that because nobody taught them that. In most cases, when we were doing outsourcing before, we were just starting a project and saying, sure, here's the timeline, here's your scope, this is how we're going to do it, just sit and wait. And then sooner or later, you will get something. And then you give full access to the client. Of course, the client gets full access to that and starts to, to decide how the project has to be managed. So what we figured out is that it's very important when you start a project and during the project to teach the client, to explain the rules to the client, and, okay, forget the slide, but at least give me the computer, <laughs> turn it to my face, or maybe my computer, yeah, give it to me, yeah, sure. I've never done the presentation that way. So, uh, so they don't know what, for example, they don't know why the task is not assigned to somebody. They don't know what's going to be the next version released. They don't know why, for example, you guys did not report me yesterday. So you reported me on, on, on Friday, but then the next Friday there is no report from you. They don't understand why it's happening. They don't know the rules of work. Or uh, uh, they don't know who is fixing the bug, the particular bug. So they look at the bug and there's nobody assigned and they don't understand why. They feel the priority of the bug, they know this is important, but nobody is touching the bug for a few days. Of course they don't understand why they jump in and start micromanaging. So they start giving directions to us, hey, you, they start calling us and saying, hey, you, you know, take care of this bug. And of course it's annoying for us because it's micromanagement. There's a manage manager on our side. The manager decides that this bug is going to be fixed later because of certain you know, reasons. There are some reasons for the manager. But the client doesn't know about that reason. The client doesn't know about that rules. Or, for example, why this ticket is low priority than that one. So, I mean, there are many, many questions which the client cannot find answers for. So we found out that we need to explain the rules. No, it doesn't react to any key. So, <laughs> so we, decided, we understood that we need to explain the rules and more importantly, to teach the client. It's not just the explanation, it's teaching the client. Because the client, again, like I said, they're not that smart, they're not that you know, educated in the level of project management, so we need to give them that education. And they enjoy it, actually. Most of our clients, we found out, they enjoy uh, us training them in the area of project management. Some of them didn't know before what a timeline, I mean, what a schedule is in reality. What's the difference between a deadline and as soon as possible? So they don't know the, the, the difference, they don't know basic concepts in management. So we, uh, we taught them. Uh, Jesus Christ. So in the end, we created, we started to create a document which is called policy of work. I don't know how many of you have that document, but we found that this is so important for all our projects. So we draw a document, quite short, about three, five pages, and this policy of work uh, uh, helps our customers and us to stay on the same on the same page about how we manage projects. More formally, this document is called Project Management Plan. So, who of you actually has a PMP certification? Well, that's great. About ten people. This is. I would recommend everybody take a look at that certification and pass it. That's really, I mean, you will get a lot of knowledge from that. So, the, the PMBOK, it's a it's a uh, it's a book, a 
according to which you will be certified. So the PM Walk recommends to have project management plan. It's a huge document, supposed to be big for big projects. It contains scope management plan, uh, time management plan, uh, budget management plan, all the different plans which explain all the participants in the project, how we're going to manage the project. Of course, you don't need that big document. That will take a lot of time to create. Nobody pay attention to it. No client will enjoy reading it. So instead, we create policy of work. It's quite short, but it says explicitly what do we do and how. And then we ask the client, let's work according to the policy. I mean, we don't tell them, stop micromanaging us. Don't touch us. Don't call us. That will be offensive. But we're asking the client, how about we all work to, according to the policy of work? It works. Yeah, it we works. Have just an Amazing. Improvement. Let me. Yeah, let me go back. Uh, that was a funny slide. So policy of work, also known as project management plan. Uh, so we created it about three years ago, and we keep updating it. It's not a stable document. It gets updated every day. Every time we see something is not clear for the customer, we put it into the policy. The client doesn't understand why, then we put the explanation there and make sure it's easy to understand. The second problem, that was the first problem, why micromanagement is happening. The second one is that we don't have management artifacts. We didn't have them. So, I mean, we had them, some of them, or maybe we didn't have them, so we had a manager. And the manager manages somehow, but the client doesn't have access to that management artifact. And I'm talking about these things. Yeah, and, and, and because, of the, because the artifacts are not available, then the client manages us this way. So every time something is required, uh, required, the client just picks up the phone, calls us, and asks what's going on. That's wrong. Instead, the client has to have access to management artifacts, not just only to source code, not only to technical stuff, but only to, also to management artifacts. This is the list of things which I think have to be available to the client. Uh, that includes some scope information, some budget information, some uh, risk list, for example. So that. If you're a good project manager, you definitely have something in this area. You need to have some documents about each areas of about each of these areas. And my point is that these documents have to be available to the client. If they're not available, the client will be like that. The client will keep calling you and calling and micromanaging you because he or she doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't have access to your uh, details of your work. So what we did to fix that, we improve our management. That will improve your management too. As soon as you start creating that management artifact, your management will become better and better. That's, that's gonna be definitely an achievement for you. And the third problem, why micromanaging is happening, micromanagement is happening, is that the client, uh, we don't engage the client actively into the project. A normal client doesn't want to just give you the money and then sit and wait for a month when the product is ready. Client wants to be an active participator in the project, wants to be in the project, doing something with the project. But usually, the software teams just kind of isolate the client from the team, doesn't give access to, to what's going on inside, and then expect the client to be patient, to be calm, and to wait. It's not gonna happen. The client will bother you, will annoy you all the time, because, because the client doesn't have anything else to do. But, but he or she wants to do something. So the client will not sit and wait like that. It's not the normal behavior of a client. He, this guy, would, uh, the client would like to be in the project more actively. So what to do, we understood that we need to keep them busy. We need to keep them busy. That's, that may sound kind of, you know, not really polite to the client, but that's really true. So they need to be busy in order not to bother you and not to annoy us. So we need to give them some work. 
And that's kind of activities which a good client can do. For example, a client can write user stories. You can explain the client. You know, it's so important for us that you create more user stories so we know how the product will be used. And the client will feel that, see, that, that he or she is so important for us, and they will start writing that user stories, which actually will be, will be valuable, will be useful. Or the client may do recruitment for us. Like, hey, you know what? We're going to need, in the two months, we're going to need new Java developer. But we don't know how to find that person. Maybe you can help us. The client, of course we can find that person, but the client will feel so valuable and will actually get busy finding a programmer, even though we can do it as well. But that's how we keep the client busy. And, and, and the client will feel so important and engaged into the project. Uh, also, writing documentation, maybe testing something and reporting bugs and all that. Um, I just have five minutes, so sorry, I'll just jump fast. So the second problem, so forget the, the micromanagement. That's the first issue which we had, micromanagement. They jump, jump onto the call and annoy us. That's just micromanagement. So we kind of solved that. The second problem was that they're asking too much and telling too much. Uh, that's one of the typical questions. Like the client gives a call and says, hey, by the way, guys, why are you using Postgres? You know, I'm just wondering. And to answer that question, the architect or the developer has to stop doing what he's doing and then start asking the, answering the question. And that answer will take an hour or two hours or the whole day because the client has no idea what Postgres is. The client is just wondering, like, hey, how about you explain me that? Well, I'm paying you, so keep explaining. So the client wants to be taught, wants to be educated for fun in most cases, because why not? I'm paying you guys, so keep, keep, keep teaching me. And, or another question, I think MySQL is, I kind of doesn't, well, we'll work better. I just read the article somewhere, I think it will work better, change it. Using Postgres, how about you try MySQL, just change it, I like it more. And it happens, I mean, there are so many questions like that. So the first one is asking too much, the second one is telling us too much. So the solution is that, uh, they actually, this is a problem, they expect us to teach them. They expect us to be kind of a school for them, for their money. So the solution is that we need to ask them to pay for it. And to pay, not just, you know, just give us money, more money, because we're teaching you, that's going to be offensive as well. They're not going to pay for that. They'll be just offended. So the right way is to configure uh, the change control. So that slide was supposed to be, you know, just animated, but it's not. So anyway, the client on the left, Every time the client comes to you with a question or an idea, how about you change MySQL to Postgres, then you ask the client to submit that to a ticket. And then the ticket will go to the team, and the team will, of course, estimate it and make changes to the source code or the documentation, and then the client will read the answer from the documentation. So that's the right way. So always send requests from the client to the change control mechanism and make sure your answers are delivered through the documentation. In that case, the client will see that every time the question is asked, there's money attached because the team actually worked on that and actually changed some documentation. That will, that will benefit everybody. The client will pay and the documentation will grow. The project will become better. The product will grow. Everybody will be in, 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 the, in advantage. So change control, that's the solution. You definitely, who of you are PMP certified, you know what change control management. If you don't, you need, still need to learn that. Change control management is super important for the right management of the project. You need to control how your changes are um, you know, applied to the product you're developing. And the problem number three, and I'm finishing, they are questioning our skills. And it sounds like this. <laughs> My friend said that you're doing it wrong. I'm sure it happened to all of you. The client works for you for a month, two, three, four, and then suddenly, hey, you know, I talked to my friend yesterday and he said that you guys don't know what you're doing. 
There is no, you cannot find against that because the, the friend is not on the payroll, but you are. So you're definitely going to be less important, less valuable your opinion than the opinion of a friend. But the friend is honest. The friend is not getting any money for that opinion. So the friend is always honest, even though he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's a friend. So you're going to lose in this case. That will happen for sure. The only solution I think exists against that problem is to configure and set up regular reviews of the product you're developing on the, on the way. So while you're working from the first day of the project, you need to discuss with the client that we are not sure that we are the perfect developers. We may have mistakes. In order to prevent that mistakes, in order to help you understand how good we are, we need to configure independent reviews. So let's hire somebody else from the side, some other technical uh, guy, some other technical person who will come to us every week and review what we're doing. Not a friend, but just an expert from the market. The client will hire that, that expert every month, every week, depends. But the person will jump into the project, review everything you're doing, and give an independent report to the client. And then the client will be more or less safe. When the friend will show up in a few months and will say, hey, these guys are not doing the right things, then the client will be able to open all these reports and ask the friend, like, what problems do you see? And the friend will say, well, they're using Postgres instead of MySQL. That's a problem. That's wrong. And in the report will be, yes, the expert, expert said so, for example. And we know about that. And the team explained why it's, not, why it's, why it's this way. So they are not lying to me. They're being honest. They're being open. The experts saw what they're doing, and this is no secret for me, so you're not hiding anything. So that independent reviews will actually help you to be honest and look honest and be open. Uh, that's, that's it, that's my last slide. So this is the link to the article on my blog. You can read it. I have just one minute left. There's no room for questions. Thanks for listening. Now we actually have 10 minutes for uh, 10 questions. Minutes. For questions. Great, so we have 10 minutes. You have questions? One over there. You can just loud, yes, oh, shout it loud. bites you back. Yeah, good point. So I'll repeat the question. So the question is that if I tell the client that we need user stories from you because this is what we need from you, and the client doesn't know how to write user stories, so the client will say, explain it to me. And then we say, okay, you're going to pay for that because the explanation will also cost us some money to explain you how to write user stories. So it's kind of the process of, I don't see any, actually any big problem in that, any problem at all, because if our documentation, if our policy, if our, you know, uh, documents do not, do not explain how user stories have to be written, then it's a problem for all of us, not only for the client, but for the project in general. So anybody will ask the same question. You hire a business analyst tomorrow, and the business analyst will also ask the same question. How do you guys want me to write user stories? I don't know, so please fix the documentation. It's important to have that in the policy. So every time we have a bug in the policy, so the policy doesn't explain how something has to be done, 
Then we fix that bug, and if this is this related to the particular project, the client pays for it. So it happened to us. Him to spend more money. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, yeah, I got the question. So the client may say, may say, hey, it's a bug in your documentation. How it's attached to my project? In that case, we pay. In that case, we pay, of course, because it's our policy, it's our way of work, it's our management artifacts. We need to fix them. And in that case, we pay our people or people in the project to fix that. It happens also. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, could you explain the profit from such policy? I mean, so high-level transparency. Well, the profit is that, uh, I mean, that's a good question. So why do we need to keep things open if we can't keep them kind of more closed? And what's the difference money-wise, right? That's the question. So what do, we, what do we gain, actually? I believe that customers will stay longer with you if you're honest and completely open and will pay more money. That's my experience. So when I was working in a more closed uh, setup, when we were, we were not disclosing too much, we were just delivering the, delivering the product when it's ready, then clients were always kind of against us. It was always a battle between me and the clients. So they were always uh, trying to, you know, they were understanding and I'm trying kind of not to rob them, not to steal their money, but kind of close to that. So when you completely open the book and you show what's going on and you show and you demonstrate how the money they're paying are actually spent, then I feel, that's what I see, they are, they are really more comfortable to pay you more and stay with you longer. So does it mean that uh, it's, such policy is better than just uh, typical scrum, scrum retrospective and demonstration? I believe so, yeah. I believe that the complete openness and, 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 and demonstration of everything on the go, not when the sprint is finished, not when the, 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 the next milestone is achieved, uh, showing everything, demonstrating how we actually achieve the milestone and what problems we have while we are trying to achieve the milestone. It's better. Well, I, I was a client as well in the outsourcing business. So I was also being in Silicon Valley for years. I was outsourcing time to time to, to companies abroad. And I, I, just, I just understand what it is to be in the shoes of a client. When you're just waiting for one week or two weeks, don't knowing what's going on there, or just seeing reports from some manager who is just typing very nice, very polite reports, and you don't know what programmers are talking about, you don't know what issues they have, you don't see how their software crashes on the, on the staging server, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. It feels me a little bit cheated, and I feel like I'm, I'm kept in the dark. And I want to, to do what I said. I want to start micromanaging. I want to start calling them five times a day. I want to start looking at what they're doing and telling them what to do. So it's just not productive. It's destructive. Okay, uh, Igor, thank you very much for a great presentation. It was really interesting. And my question will be more uh, maybe to the tooling side. So basically, you, like, yeah, I'm also like practicing creating policies, but maybe uh, one of problems that we usually also face is when you create the policy, right, maybe you negotiate it at the beginning, but sometimes it changes, or for example, sometimes people forget about it. Mm -hmm. So what tools basically are you using to put your confluence in? I mean, is it like some kind of a SharePoint, a doc file, a confluence? And how do you ensure that people actually adhere to them and when they change, uh, maybe when new people arrive, they still remember them, right? So maybe some experience. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we try to keep it short, as short as possible, and don't use any formal language. So we write this policy in a very informal way. So we're, we're writing it like you, 
we, you should do it, we should not do it, so it's always like informal documents. So don't make it formal, don't make it sound like this project management big document which nobody wants to read. The policy has to be very simple, like the policy on when you open, I don't know, a, a laser to shave. So you open it and it says like open up and shave, something like that. So it has to be really simple and then primitive, the language itself, that's first. Second, it's a job of a manager to always manage people according to the policy and, 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 and always when you are explaining something to somebody, to your programmer, to your tester, or to your client, I mean, if I'm a manager. So when, every time I'm trying to explain something, I should always ask myself, why do I need to explain that? Probably the policy is not correct. So if I need to explain you something, it means that the document is not perfect. So every time I should jump in and say, in which paragraph we said it already? And if I can't find the paragraph, I'm just saying, hey, look at the paragraph 15. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna explain it to you, it's a waste of my time. We already spend a lot of time to write paragraph 15 in a very, you know, in a very accurate way and it's really understandable. If I cannot do that, of course the job of a manager. So if the manager is bad, then the manager will always explain again and again. If the manager is good, the manager will know how to use the policy. Will know the policy first of all. Will know in which, in which paragraph I said it already. We said it already. If the manager doesn't know the policy, then of course it's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Th thanks for your presentation. Uh, Open conversations, uh, team conversations for a client. Uh, how to do it and uh, in what way? Um, how to, to, to have conversations? Well, that's a, that's a tricky question, of course. So, uh, in our case, we allow the client to talk to any member of the team. So, any programmer, any tester, they have direct access to the client and the client has direct access to them. But we are not using uh, uh, tools like Skype, Slack, or Telegram for chatting between clients and us. We're always allowing the client to talk to us through the tickets, through the tasks. So every time, for example, the client says, why you guys are using Postgres? That's my question. So the question goes into the ticketing system. It's a ticket number 17. So the ticket number 17 says, it's not clear for us from the documentation why Postgres was chosen. That's a clear, clear bug in the documentation. Who submitted the bug? Jeffrey from California. Nice. Then me, I'm jumping in and I'm answering that question. I'm not answering, I'm actually going to the documentation and updating the documentation. I'm adding new three paragraphs to the documentation saying, Postgres works faster than MySQL, for example. Because of this and that, here's the links, I did the test, so I'm sure this is how it works. And then I'm saying, hey, Jeffrey, can you please close the ticket because I updated documentation. Can you finish it? And the, the Jeffrey says, no, it's not really clear. The links you gave to me are not actually trustworthy. I need more proof because blah, blah, blah. I found other links. And then I jump in and say, well, okay, let me investigate further. Give me a few more days. That's the conversation. And then anybody can see this conversation. Any tester, any programmer, somebody also, somebody else can jump in into this conversation and say, hey, guys, also look at this link because I just found it out also somewhere else. So that becomes a conversation and it's open to everybody. This ticket is like in Jira, for example. You have the ticket in Jira, anybody can see this conversation. That's how we do it. And I, well, of course, in the beginning, it's gonna be kind of uh, difficult because most people will be afraid of the client. Most people are you know, scared to talk to the client in an open way because, because they know that we may lose the client and then we're gonna lose our salaries or whatever. So we're gonna lose the project. So some people may be scared. That, that happened to us in the beginning. So some programmers, they were like really afraid and they were asking me, can I talk to the client? 
can I answer this question? Can I drop, drop in some information because I just found some link about Postgres and MySQL? Can I do that or we may lose the client because of that? And I was always saying, like, say whatever you want. I mean, don't talk about money. Don't say, like, hey, I'm going to answer that if you pay me $100 more. That's going to be a little bit too much. So that's what not people should not do. But if it's a technical conversation, anybody should be free to speak up and, and, and tell what they, what they have to, to say. It's, it's going to be difficult in the beginning. I get the question, definitely. But eventually, programmers will feel more and more comfortable, and they will know that the more open they are, the more clients appreciate that. And that will take also teaching the client as well. So you need to kind of teach the client that uh, they have to be prepared for bad news as well, not only good news. Because sometimes somebody may jump in and say, you know what, actually, MySQL is faster. So we're using Postgres, but I just found out the analysis which says that MySQL for our case will be faster. So the whole project is in risk because we made the wrong technical decision. This may happen. So traditionally, software teams will hide that information. We'll just say, well, let's not disclose that to the client because the client may completely you know, cancel the project and change the team because we made such a huge technical mistake. But if you, if you promote the openness, then that kind of uh, questions and that kind of uh, information will be disclosed earlier in the project, not later. Егор, спасибо большое. К большому счастью, у нас есть очень много вопросов, и вы, правда, заинтересовались, я вижу, тут поднимающиеся руки, и мне шлющие э, такие небольшие подмигивания, пожалуйста, дай мне микрофон. К сожалению, мы вынуждены сейчас на данный момент остановить поток вопросов, у вас будет возможность подойти лично к Егору, задать их, и мы вынуждены, к счастью или к сожалению, двигаться дальше. Я буду в холле, будем пообщаться позже. Спасибо. Егор, спасибо большое. Спасибо вам особенно большое за вот это.